Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends, if you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the show, this week's midweek mashup is all about those Raiders, baby. We got Tim Brown and Willie Galt, two Raiders legends and Hall of Famers that are joining me on today's mashup episode. I had the opportunity to sit down with both of them at the Pump Gala last August, I believe, um, which is a fantastic foundation that raises money for uh, cancer research. And it was a completely star-studded event. I got to do several interviews with some amazing people. And Tim Brown and Willie Gall were two of the people that stood out to me the most. And they both happened to be Raiders. And now, since I live in Las Vegas, I'm kind of by proxy, a little bit of a Raiders fan. I've been a Cowboys fan my whole life. I know, pray for me. But I also now am kind of a Raiders fan because they're in my backyard. And I've gone to a couple of their games at Legion Stadium. So uh, uh, Tim and Willie both have their own completely separate, yet obviously coinciding stories. And so I thought it'd be really fun just to put them both on this episode together to talk about how to make it to the Hall of Fame, how to basically be a world-class athlete or world-class at anything that you do. And we talk, of course, a little bit about relationships and those things as well. So please enjoy this midweek mashup featuring Tim Brown and Willie Galt. Look, when I left out the house at 18 years old, uh, I was 17 actually when I left, uh, my birthday uh, is over the summer, Same. My, mom and, my mom and dad said to me, hey, look, boy. There's no future in football for you. Mm. You go up there and get that education and get on back home. Yeah. And that was my mindset, man. I mean, um, I love football. I mean, I, I, you know, and, but I, I didn't, I wasn't dreaming of playing in the NFL. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was doing what the team asked me to do. If they played me great, if they didn't, there was a reason in my mind why they didn't. So I didn't, I didn't complain, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and I, I didn't get off to the best, best start, you know, my, uh, freshman year, the first play, opening kickoff of the year. They had told me they weren't going to put me back there, right? It was going to ease me into the game. You know, Jerry Faust gets, gets all excited. Timmy, if we, if we win open the kickoff, I want you to return the punt, return the kick. And I'm like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm saying to myself, that didn't just happen, did it? Yeah. And I literally went in shock. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not just saying it. I literally, I, I left the locker room without my helmet. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was that bad. They let me get like halfway down the, the tunnel, you know, the upperclassmen like, hey, freshman, yeah. did you forget something? I'm like, no way. I don't think so. <laughs> right. It looked good to me. <laughs> they was like, your helmet. I was like, oh. So at that point, you know, maybe they should have warned the coach that there <laughs> yeah, was a problem. Right, but right. so, you know, I, I don't think I ever, I've ever prayed for us not to win the opening toss. <laughs> And I'm not Catholic, but I was on my knees. Hell, Lord, hell, Mary, full of grace. Please, please don't let us. I've never us. done anything to disappoint right. you. Yeah. <laughs> but we went to open the talks, man. And, uh, you know, then you try to do that man up thing, right? Pounding your chest like yep. you got this. And yep. I knew they were going to squib kick the ball. Because we used to play on, you know, back then the, the turf was like this. You know, yep. it was a little carpet and it was concrete is what you played on. And, um, yeah, and I, I just, um, I got in front of the ball. You know, I did that okay and uh, started to run. And I still think I'm in shock at this point. 
I literally run into the back of uh, my guy, fumble the ball, take a couple more steps because I don't realize I had fumbled the ball. Oh, no. And, you know, I'm on the 20 and the ball is back on the 11, 12, 11, 12 yard line. And that's how I started my career. So obviously a Hall of Fame career hey, from, right from day one. Hey, I, I yeah. told everybody, hey, look, I told you I was coming here for an education. So <laughs> yeah. I guess y'all, I guess y'all yeah. believe me now. But what, what did you major in? Major in sociology with a minor in business. Okay. Notre Dame had what they call an arts and letters business administration uh, uh, major. And that's what I got my degree in. But um, when, when, when did it change? Well, Lou Holtz got there. Mm. So Jerry was gone after my sophomore year. Lou came in. Um, and uh, after we did winter ball, which is 5 a.m. practices, and he made everybody have 8 o'clock classes. Mm. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that was that took a lot to get used to. Yeah. But we, we um, doing that just to, like, try to keep everybody's nose clean? Or, or, discipline, oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. you know. And um, so when we got outdoors, um, after, you know, about two weeks, um, he would just pull me into his office and uh, and showing me, you know, and I come in at one time, he was like, okay, tell me, tell me what the problem was. And I was like, coach, what are you talking about? Kid, you just tell me what the problem is, right? You just tell me what the problem I was like, Coach, don't you lie to me. You just tell me what you tell me why they weren't playing you. I was like, Coach, they just didn't play. You're lying to me again. Why are you lying to me? There's no coaching staff in America dumb enough not to play you. Now, why weren't they playing you? I was like, they just didn't play me. And uh, and you know he couldn't believe that. Yeah. And so he told me. He said, Look, man, the only way you're not going to get the ball is if they find a way to intercept the snap from center. If they do that, I can't get you the ball. Hmm. <laughs> but if the ball gets to my quarterback, you're going to get the ball in your hands. What, what do you think that What do you think that he saw versus? Well, you know what he what he told me was like you're doing things on the field that we're not asking you to do. I mean, instinctively, you're you're making plays and you're blocking people. Or you're doing this or you're doing that, and God knows when you get your ball in your hands, it's like Mister Excitement, you know. Hmm. And uh, um, he was like, you know, you could be the best player in the country. And I told him, yeah, I said, I didn't come here to be the best player in the country. Yeah. I'd say, hey, look, I'm going to get an education. Yeah, go I'm back here for home. sociology, actually. Right. <laughs> Married my high school sweetheart, be a deacon in the church. Yeah. And he was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. He was like, you could be the best player in the country. I said, coach. You didn't not, see it? No, I, nope. Didn't see it. No so intention. every day he would bring me in. He would show me, Tim, this is, you know, next level. Tim, this is, you know, da 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 this and that. And wow. finally, I just said to myself, look, Tim. Just go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, I mean, we'll clearly we'll, this guy knows what he's talking about. Well, you know, it scrub. wasn't even that. It was like my, my attitude was like, he don't really know what he's talking about, but just go really? with it. And, you know, so you can say you did. <laughs> yeah. And when, when, when things don't go the way he's saying, then, right. you know. Sociology. Yeah. We'll, we'll just, we'll just move on. <laughs> right. And, um, and my junior year, man, was just incredible. I mean, he put me in a position to make plays mm. and we made the plays and, you know, and, returning punts and kicks and all that kind of stuff, led the nation in all-purpose yardage and all that. And um, it's like, wow. everybody's like, where did this kid come from, you know? It's crazy how one yeah. person can believe in you enough yeah. to change the way that you believe in yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it sort of happened, and I know you got a little timeline, you probably, but I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Yeah. It sort of happened with, um, with John Gruden, too. Mm. 
because when he when he came into the Raiders, uh, I was in year going into year eleven, I think. Okay. I mean, at that point, he could have very easily said, "Hey, you know, you've done well. But we're going to move on, get a younger guy." And he was, you know, Darryl, Darryl was only I was thirty two, he was thirty four. Mm, you know what I mean? wow. <laughs> so, so peers, I mean, yeah, <laughs> right, right. I mean, he could have very easily said, "Hey, I want to go get a younger guy. Da da. We're going to grow together. Da, you know." But uh, but but same thing. He 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 brought me in. Um, I'll tell this story, then I'll stop because I don't know what kind of timeline you got. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but he uh, he brought me in in the office, and he he said to me, um, you know, I've watched almost all of your catches up until this point, mm. and why do they not throw? Why did you not get passes in the uh, in the red zone inside the twenty? Mm. And I just laughed because it was a running joke that for the quarterbacks never to throw me the ball inside the 20. That was like an Al Davis rule. I mean, so he was like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you, you watch my film. You, you see, I mean, anytime we get in the 20, inside the 20, either they take me out the game yeah. or if I am in a game, they got me on the backside or whatever, whatever. And he was like, what are you but talking why? about? <laughs> you know, but Al, Al had a thing was that, you know, he wanted you to play good, but he didn't want you to play great because if you play great, now everybody's going to know about you. You're going to mm-hmm. want more money, the trade, da, 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 all this stuff, going, you know, free agent, all that, you know, all that came into play. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, so with offensive players, because he could control those guys more defense, you can't stop Howie Long from going, getting a sack. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't do that. But offensively, you, you can, just don't run the plays through him. Yeah, just yeah. don't run the plays through him. And that's what they did. And uh, so when Gruden got there, after 10 years, I only had 40, 45 catches, I mean, touchdown passes. And the four years with him, I had just as many or, or more Wow! in four years. So that put me in a position to get to 100. And, to, you know, at that time, that was sort of the barrier for being a Hall of Fame receiver if you got to 100 touchdowns, you know. So Wow. That's crazy, man. Yeah. One, one person. Right? <laughs> one person, right. man, you know. Putting their neck, I, I told him, I said, you're going to get fired. <laughs> I, that's what I told him. I said, you're going to get fired. Yeah. He was like, well, if, if they fire me because we're scoring touchdowns, yeah. then I should get fired. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I won't get fired. my fate at that point. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Um, okay, so you you are majoring in sociology. Mm-hmm. You're playing football. Um, was it after junior year when you had that really good year where you were like, oh, I actually might be able to – turn this into a career yeah uh, funny enough that actually happened here in LA okay. uh, we had came out here to play USC okay and um, we were down late in the game I think with 12 minutes ago I think we were down 19 points or something like that yeah. with 12 minutes ago and I had a couple huge plays a big catch a uh, big punt return and um, we came back and won the game on the last second field goal and um, the great late Jim Murray uh, for the LA times, uh, came up to me at that time. If he put your name on the list, everybody put their name, put your name on the list. Mm. So he came up to me and said that, um, I was going to be his front runner for the Heisman. Wow. You know? And, um, I remember Notre Dame, we would always end the year in either Florida or California and we would go out on Monday because it was Thanksgiving weekend, so our families would come out. So my brother was was uh, was out there, and I remember going out outside the locker room. I said to him, "I said, bro, this guy just said I'm gonna be his front runner for the Heisman." 
I said, even if I don't win the Heisman, you think somebody may want me to come play pro? And we looked at each other. We were like, nah, that ain't going to happen. Nah, nah. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, we were so laser focused, man, on yeah, right. education and all that, right. that we, we just we just never saw it coming until it was right in front of us because two weeks after that. I was going to say, so what happened then? Yeah, yeah. so two weeks after that, you know, yeah, the draft of 80, 87 is coming up, but they're already talking about the top guys for the 88 draft are going into the 87 football season. And my name was one, two, three, or four or five on all everybody's list. So even, you know, if you don't win the Heisman, somebody's going to be, you know what I mean? And so, you know, we got, you know, we had to go get an insurance policy. You know, we did all that stuff, man, because now all of a sudden you're, you're in a totally, totally different uh, position. So did did it feel, did it feel did it feel life changing before it happened in that sense? Like when you started seeing your name on these lists, did you already feel like, wow, my life is going to be completely different than I thought it was going to be? Um, yeah, I, 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 I still didn't see big picture. Yeah. I, I didn't. And, and really that that's because of the family I came from, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you only, I mean, you only know what you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, I mean, my mom and dad are good people or, you know, my dad lost my dad a few years ago, but you know, um, Mom is sort of, sort of the earth, you know, church woman, never yeah. wanted me to play. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. after, after college, every year she would ask me, Oh, you going, you can quit now. You, you know, really? Yeah, Even you, in, in the NFL? It, every, every year, every year, you know, oh, no man. matter, you know, and you, you proved to them that you can do it. You don't, That's you don't funny. have to. She, uh, she, what, what, because of injuries or like she, she wanted you home? She or? wanted me, you know, she's a very, very religious woman. Got it. Got it. And, uh, thought the, the, the football is a devil's workshop. Yeah. yeah right, <laughs> a sports right. period, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah. No, I, 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 um, so, just like, you know, uh, just like the water boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The devil. Yeah. So, yeah, man, no, it's, um, you know, it's just one of those things That's where so you, you, uh, you, you're not thinking that because the people around you are not thinking that, you know, right. I mean, when the people around you are talking about normal things and, and treating you normally, then that's, that's what you do. That's right. who you are. Right. You know, and you know, no, it literally took people on the outside to tell us what, don't you don't you don't you understand what's happening here? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And because uh, we we definitely didn't see it. Not only can you make it, but you can actually be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you you could be like really good at this game. You yeah. know? I mean, and uh, but you know, I think by the time I got to my senior year, um, I, I understood. I fully understood what was happening. Yeah. And um, but even that, you know, the one thing I told my team. Um, because, you know, going back a little bit in high school, I won four games in my three years on varsity. You said you won? I won four games. We were four twenty-five and one. Wow. So the first year at Notre Dame, I was five and six. I think we may have gone six and five the first year. I mean, uh, the second year, um, lose first year. I think we went, we were either five and six or six. I think we were five and six because we went to USC that year. We were four and six out, no bowl game, no, no hope of doing anything. So, um, you know, all I wanted, I knew we were a good football team. All I wanted was to win. <laughs> win. Mm-hmm. I just want to win. You yeah. know what I mean? Have a winning winning season yeah, would be right. would be great. So I, I just told my guys, please, you can help me out by let's not be talking about this Heisman. Let's go and get this thing done. Let's go win. Let's go do this. And you know, and it, it worked until we were eight and one. Oh wow! And uh, we went to Penn State, and we lose. 
Tony Rice tried to be the hero. Should have pitched me the ball. I was wide open on a two-point conversion. He pitched me the ball. I walk in, but he tried to turn it up and slipped or something. But anyway, uh, so after that game, we know, you know, we don't have – because if we win that game, we go down to play to Miami, play mm-hmm. Miami with a chance. If we beat them, we go play a nice championship. Yeah. So after that, that week, everybody, oh, well, let's, let's win the Heisman for Timmy. And, you know, I probably had my worst game going down in Miami that year because now we're thinking about it, talking about it. But, um, but no, man, look, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was a pretty, pretty interesting time. No yeah, no kidding. It, so, yeah. But talk to yeah. me about draft day. What was, what was that feeling so, like? So, um, you know, you wanted to go number one overall, right? Mm-hmm. You know, once Atlanta pretty much said they, they were going to go defense no matter what, then we knew that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the teams after that, and I don't know the exact order, but I know it was Kansas City, Detroit, uh, Tampa Bay, and Kansas City, Detroit, Tampa Bay. It was four teams. I can't think of the other one. Um, Cincinnati, Tampa Bay, Detroit. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, Kansas City, it's Cincinnati, Tampa Bay, and Detroit. Yeah. So those are the four teams, um, and all those teams were looking for a savior. They were looking for somebody <laughs> to come in and it's like, in the name of Jesus, he, <laughs> he just healed us, right? <laughs> and and now you have to realize that. Oh, let me go back and say this. Beginning of my senior year, you know, we lose. Uh, Steve Berline after for direct, he went to the NFL. Uh, Terry uh, Andrzejczyk takes over. Terry is drop back quarterback. You know, you know, laser passer. We lose him in the opening game. Hmm. My my my, uh, my senior year. So Lou said he brings me in and say, Tim, we're gonna have to go to wishbone. We got to go to wishbone offense. Said um, Tony can't run a drop back offense. Yeah, and we got to go to the wishbone. So I'm in a three point stance most of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Or if I, even if I'm if they put me out, I'm still in the three point stance, and um, so you know that was my whole deal was I can't go from being in a three point stance wishbone offense to going up against some of the best cornerbacks in the history of the game. I mean yeah. that doesn't make any sense, you know what I mean? So I need to get to a team where I got time, mm-hmm. I, I can I can work with it, you, you know? develop, yeah. And um, so we we looked at the Raiders and like, dang, Marcus Bow. Yeah. Uh, James Lofton, yeah. Mervyn Fernandez, all these guys, we need to get there. Yeah. You know, Todd right. Christensen at the time, you know. Yeah, that was a good squad. Yeah. Then. And um, so, and I don't know what my agent did, man, but, you know, if he didn't do anything for me in the 20 years we were together, he did that. That he, one thing. Yeah. He got me to the Raiders. He said, I don't know if I was going to take you, but I'll get you, I'll, you know, I'll try and get you there. And he did. And, um, um, I, and come to find out, Al didn't want me. Oh, really? No, no, no. He walked out of the draft room. No way. That's the story I was told. Wow. Uh, he walked out the draft room and said, when this kid fails, it's on you guys. It's not on me. Jesus. So when I first get to the Raiders, um, uh, Ron Wolf, who went into the Hall of Fame with me, uh, literally, I mean, I, I'm not on the – I've ran like two routes. And he pulls me off the field. And he's like sweating like, hey, hey man, look, uh, you know – you know, we really need you to play well. I'm like, I mean, I, I mean, I'm at a little walkthrough, you know. I mean, it's like, like no, I dropped no 18 shit. balls, and, you know. It was like, I was like, we well, can we, yet. like, get yeah. to training camp? Can we, can like. We stretching? Yeah. 
It was really, That's but crazy. you know, they were in a lot of pressure that yeah. uh, if I didn't play well, they were all going to get fired. Yeah. You know, so um, he didn't tell me that, but I mean, obviously, when the man's sweating bullets, yeah, right. you, you understand understand what's happening. So, oh, but yeah, man. so it, it was a little little different, man. But um, but yeah, it worked out perfectly for me because James Lofton and these guys, man, and uh, we brought in Willie Galt. They brought in mm-hmm. Willie Galt the same yeah. year they brought me. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. Just, just had a chat with him. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. And um, so it really put me in a position to return punts and kicks. And I literally thought I was born to return punts and kicks. So mm. I had no fear, no intrepidation at all about, about that. Matter of fact, First time I touched the ball in college, I fumbled. First time I touched the ball in the NFL, I returned a kick eight, 97 yards for a touchdown. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> yes. but, Retribution. Uh, right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, man, you know, so I, I, I had time. And then, you know, in a very strange way, man, my second year, I tear my knee up and I have reconstructive surgery. But looking back on it, I think it was probably one of the best things that happened to me. Mm. Because now I, got, I had a chance to... You know, watching the game, you know, uh, when you're in college or whatever, watching the game on TV is one thing. But when you're in the locker room or you're in the uh, meeting meeting rooms and you see and you hear what is going on when the coach is telling the, 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 what James and what James is responding back, man, that just – I just mentally, it took my game like off the out the roof, man. Yeah. And, uh, and when I came back in '90, I mean, I didn't light it up because they didn't let me light it up, but uh, they wanted to make sure. But I felt like I was a much much better receiver mm. mentally. Yeah, just from the, the yeah. football IQ yeah. that you mm-hmm. picked up being around those guys. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. Your environment shapes you, right? Yeah. Without a doubt. 
without a doubt. I mean, and having James Lofton, who was, you know, you know, of course, Hall of Fame receiver, but uh, man, he was such a great friend and um, a, you know, great coach, and on the field that it just just made life so so easy. You hear stories all the time. You you think about it. You dream about it. You get your name called. You get the jersey. You show up to camp. But what's it like playing in the game comparatively to every other level of athletics that you were involved in up to that point? Well, for, for me, it wasn't too much different because I had a mindset that I was pretty good. You know, I, mm. I, had, I had total confidence, confidence in myself. Yeah. I just didn't think that, you know, I, I knew the guys that were playing in the league. I go, okay, they played college two years ago, three years ago, or whatever. Yeah. I'm fascinated. I knew I was fascinating everybody. So mm. I had that, that confidence that no one could catch me or yeah. I was fastest guy on the field. At almost at all times. And so it gave me a lot of confidence. And yeah. so I went into the, the league very confident. And uh, I caught my first pass. I, my first touchdown, I caught three touchdowns in one game, was my first three touchdowns in the same game. And wow. that gave me a bunch of confidence. And yeah. uh, from that point on, I just... <laughs> As it you know, will, yeah. Right, I just, from that point on, I just started playing football, you know. And yeah. It was became a game to me. Yeah. It, it wasn't like... Oh, this is the NFL. It's like, okay, it's college. And it's, yeah, it's, I'm playing football. And, yeah. Instead of playing against one or two good guys in college, I'm playing against 12, 11 good right, guys. Right, right. They're all good. Exactly. So it's the same thing. But I, I could win against those guys in college, and I can win against these guys. So it became uh, just a, a matter of fact. If you're in a group of people who are quite literally the best in the world at what yes. they do, how did you and how does someone listening or watching remove yourself even further from those people? Well, you... You don't try to remove yourself. You just do it. Mm. You know, you just do your thing. Because if, if you get hung up into trying to be what they are, then you're not what, who you are. Mm. I think for me, I just train hard. I knew certain things that I knew that no one could do that I could do. No one's going to out-train me. That's mm. up to me. Um, no one's going to be better prepared. That's for me. So I can only control the things that I can control. The things I can't control, I can't control. I can't control if the coach calls a play for me or if the quarterback throws the ball, if the defense is play. I can't control any of those things. As a receiver, you can't really control those things. You can control being on time, knowing your plays, being ready, catching the ball when it comes to you. Are you going to drop passes? Yeah, but if you catch more than you drop, that's the pop. That's the deal. That's what you want. Yeah, yeah. It's a part of the game. So. I just wanted to make sure that I was in control of the things that I could control and the outside things I could control. I can't listen to it because then it gets too much clouded in your, your mind. Talked a lot about confidence. Where, where does confidence come from in, in your opinion? Cause like you, you came in and you had, you, you had a little bit of data, right? You right. knew like, you know, coming out of a combine or something like that, you know, like, Oh, I'm, like I'm statistically on paper faster. Right. But where does the confidence come from if you don't have a lot of empirical data to support that? Well, we didn't have combines back then, basically. I just came from track. I mean, I made the Olympic team, and I was, you know, one of the fastest guys in the world. I ranked number two in the world. You already knew that, So, So I knew that. I knew that coming in that no one could match that feat. So I think confidence comes in you doing it and being confident in yourself that you can have put the work in. The prep. I knew I prepared myself. I put the work in. I worked hard. Um, I've done all the things necessary to be at this level. Now, if if I'm going to another level, if if I'm going to say to have an opera or going to do an operation, I hadn't prepared myself. I'd be scared to death Mm, (laughs) because I wouldn't know what I'm doing. Right. But I prepare myself. And it's like anything in life. If you prepare yourself when the opportunity comes, that's your luck. It's work. It's preparation meets the opportunity. It's not luck. It's preparation. It's doing it over and over. Repetition. 
It's not the old saying, insanity, if you do the same thing over and over and you expect a different result, that's insanity. No, this is doing the same thing over and over and getting better and in getting perfect practices and, you know, trying to be there. And that's it's all a part of life, you know, yeah. in every genre of life, every work part of life, same thing. If you put in the work, you see the results. If you don't put in the work, then the results are not going to be what you want it to be always. Some people get lucky because they're so talented that they don't put in the work and they get the results. Yeah. But that's very few, and I wouldn't want those odds. I wouldn't want to live with those odds. Yeah, leave it up to somebody else, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Right. I want to be in control as much as I can be in control of. Look, we live in an earth that's, think about it, and this is the ultimate non-control. We live on an earth that's floating around in space. Think about it. <laughs> If we're a mile closer to the, our, the sun, we burn up. Yeah. If we're a mile further away, we freeze. Right. We're rotating in space, going in space. So how much control do you really have? Right. And we're a grain of sand, not even a grain of sand in the whole scope of this thing. Yeah. There's a universe that's billions of planets that right. we don't even know about. Yeah. It's light years away. Billions of galaxies. Galaxies, right. Yeah, right. Light years away that we have no idea Crazy to so, think about. So we, we really don't control anything. I mean, right. we, we think we'd like to think we are, we're not. So just focus on the things that you can. Yeah. While you're here, your, your dash, what do you do in your dash? Mm. Born, die. What, what are you doing in that dash in between? Do you change the world and make it a little bit better than where you saw it or where you found it and influence other people or affect yeah. other people, whether it be your child, your children, your friends, your family? Or, or your community or your world. You know, somehow you try to make it better. So, and that's all you can do, really. What percentage of, of anybody that's great at any, world-class at anything, what percentage do you believe is ta- like talent versus work and refined skill over a period of time? What, what, like, what would be the makeup there? Like 50, 50, 80, 20, you know? Yeah, it, it's so different. Different things depend on what it is. Yeah. I mean, take a basketball player like Michael Jordan or, Co- or Kobe or LeBron. Those guys have talent, but to be able to, to hone it like they did, it took a lot of work. For as long as they lot, have. Uh, right, right. A lot of practice. I mean, I look at LeBron training now. It's like no one else. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, they're doing the work, and so they see the results. So, And some somebody else may be a genius in ping pong or, or chess. That's a different type of work. So it's like, it's mental work. So it's all relative. But from sports and athletics, to get to the height, Barry Bond didn't hit a ball coming 100 miles an hour, you know, 400 feet, just by not doing anything. He's talented, and he worked hard at it. No matter what people say, it takes a lot of hard work to do it. And Tiger Woods didn't hit a golf ball, you know, where he needs it and win all these championships without hitting thousands of balls, thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of balls. Yeah. Jack Nicholson didn't do it without doing that. So it's just the way it goes. So for anything, whether you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, to be the best lawyer, you got to do the work. you got to mm. read the case. you got to know the cases like the back of your hand. you got to be able to object, object to something that no one else would realize that you objected to it, but you right. know because you read something. To be a doctor, I mean, I, I know some amazing doctors. They've done the work. They spent right. the time surgery, operating, looking, reading books, looking at other operations. So no matter what it is in life, you know, you have to be prepared. You have to work hard. You have to, you know, spend the time to, to if you're really excited about it, if you really love it, yeah. do it. It's, There's no, no shortcuts. It's the muscle memory that takes over over, over time. Absolutely. From proficiency right. and repetitions and continuous, almost 
you know, uh, tedious improvement where, Absolutely. you know, um, I was reading, um, winning the other day by mm-hmm. Tim Grover. Right. And that's what he was talking about in there about the, the, the people who are the greatest of the greatest are the people who are the ones that are fighting every day to get like 0.01% better. Right. Cause they're already at the top. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. so like you can't get exponentially better, right? right. Like your first five to 10 years, you can get exponentially better right. where it's like, I don't know how to dribble a basketball to like, now I'm a really good player. Right. You go from horrible to like, now I'm really good. But right. going from like really, really good right. to the best right. is like a difference yeah. of this much. I mean, think right? about it. What can Steph Curry work on to be better? Right. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. so amazing to me, but he knows. Right. He knows, right. well, I maybe have to work on my defense yeah. more. I got to work on my layup. Yeah. Or, well, we've or, seen it. Right. We've exactly. seen him improve. Exactly. Like, even Absolutely. his physical strength was right. one thing that always stopped him. Like, he right. got cut. He's yeah. put on, like, 15 pounds of muscle Absolutely. in the last four years. Like, so, you, the great athlete, they know. Yeah. They know exactly there's something that I need, that I need to tweak, that I can get better at, whatever. And you're always looking to see how you can be better because the bottom line is this. You never want to retire and say, boy, I wish I had you always do uh, it. That's why I never, I'm not, not afraid to try things, try other things and try different things because I've, I've always promised myself that I'm never going to look back and say, boy, I wish I had a, just because it's too late. That's one of the scariest things in life to me is that exact yeah. phrase. I, I wish I had. Yeah. That's I take big risks building my businesses and, and doing things, the things that I do for the same reason. It's, um, Tony Robbins has something that he calls the rocking chair test where right. like picture yourself, you're 95 years old, you're on your front porch sitting on a rocking chair, looking back in your life. And anytime I come up against like a big decision that scares me or that's really right. risky, I have to run it through that test and just right. ask myself, like, is this something that if I were to look back on my life, would I sit there and go, man, I wish I, I would have done that. Yeah. Cause that scares the shit out of me. Cause it's yeah. the only time where you can't do anything about it. You can't. You're done. Like right. you've had your chance. Your yeah. one opportunity to create the amazing life that you want to live is done. Right. Yeah. Where do you go from there? Right. That's you know? why I just never, if I think I want to do something, I should do it. And yeah. then if I fail, great. If I succeed, great. You know, at least I know I did it. You I got tried. feedback, right? right. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll never sit back in that 90 year old rocking chair. Right. Or I wish I what, what would happen. <laughs> Yeah. I go, okay, I did it, and that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, and that sucked. I'm glad I stopped. <laughs> <So> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That sucked. I spent yeah. 10 years, and that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so so if we were to you know, sit you down and go, Willie, there's a room full of people here. They want to know how to become excellent at their craft. What would you say is the first step to that process? Understanding what their craft is. Mm. Uh, knowing the history of the craft. Uh, respecting the craft, um, and then actually working toward the craft and uh, knowing that you can do everything from A to Z mm. within that craft that you're trying to, whether it be you know, being a doctor, a lawyer, or a teacher, or athlete, or a football player, or track, whatever that is, what is it that made the person who is the best at it and that you look up to, what made them that person? How did they get there? And that's what you do. And then you start to do the process. You start yeah. going through the process of learning how to crawl and then walk and then run mm. and then sprint. And yeah. So it's, it's all a process. You, you don't want to go from crawling to sprinting because yeah. you've missed a lot of things that will hurt you if you don't know them. Yeah. So I think you have to be educated enough to know it uh, and spend the time to learn it. And also the, the hard work, the dedication. There's no shortcuts because when you take shortcuts – in the end, the shortcuts will um, come back to bite you. Yeah. They really will. And the, the true great ones in those industries are never, they're never, um, 
confused by that or like they're never they they never buy into it if they like they'll be able to tell if you took the shortcut absolutely right yeah, like absolutely and some yeah. pe- again some people get lucky some people are born into it some but sure for if we're talking about just regular person who's not right. born into anything just got to work hard they have a dream they have a ability they just got to hone that ability got to try it they got to work on it they got to think about it they got to sweep on it they got to yep. pray on it they got to do all those things and to to, to make it be the best that they can be. I mean, everybody's not going to be able to run like Usain Bolt. Right. I wasn't able to. Right. I mean, guy's fast. Everybody <laughs> won't be able to hit a golf ball like Tiger Woods. Yeah. Everybody won't be on Michael Jordan or, or Kobe or LeBron. And I'd say right. those three guys because they're all great. Or Shaq or whatever. Or, you know, Steph. Yep. They're all great guys. But, so, but you can be the best that you can be with your right. ability. Right. And then what is that? How do you determine that? Well, it, it's determined by hard work and dedication. And what do you do? You know, how much time you spend it. And that's basically what it is. Yeah. I love how you, when I asked you the question originally, I love how you said the first thing is to know the craft. And I think that that's a really crucial step in the process is clarity, yeah. you know, and, and I think that gets kind of skipped over a lot of times. And I, I appreciate you for bringing that up. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the show. Today, I am sitting down with Willie Gold. Willie, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks so Thank much you. for joining me. Thank you. All good. So uh, I want to I jump in into the backstory here. Obviously, everybody knows you for your uh, your NFL career and everything that, that you've done in that world. So I want to rewind the clock okay. um, and take it back a little before that. So let's say, you know, 10-year-old, 11-year-old Willie, bring us back to that period of time in your life set the scene for us where were you right. you know folks all that stuff well i grew up in a small town called griffin georgia 30 miles south of atlanta okay um i was very motivated as a kid um i ran a lot i used to like to run so i was almost like forrest gump <laughs> i run everywhere right? i love running i love racing lots I of energy just, lots of energy right yeah. uh competing throwing rocks or hitting playing baseball i was playing little league baseball at the time um, and just a uh, happy-go-lucky kid, basically. Yeah. What were your parents doing? My parents had my great mother and father and a sister, sister who kept me honest because she kicked my butt every once in a while. She's like older? Oh, yeah. One, oh, yeah. Two years older. Okay. But she Same, was so actually. Much taller. My sister's two years right. older. She was yeah. much taller than I was yeah. you know, at the time, and she was bigger and stronger. She was fast, too. So she kept me honest, and um, we had a great relationship, but she kicked my butt every day. I mean, just... <laughs> All about anything. It didn't matter what it was. And did you mom, did you deserve it though? That's the question. Uh, not really, but okay. at the time it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was gonna do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom and dad was amazing. My they let me make decisions early in my life that mm. helped. They gave me choices. They go, look, this is A, this is B, this is C. You choose. Mm. Because if you make a mistake, then you can't blame us. You blame yourself. So. Yeah. Um, and I, I learned a lot, and you know, I had a great upbringing, great teachers. What, what did they do for for a living? They they worked in the text, textile industry. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, my mom was a manager at one textile mill, and my father was a manager at another one. And uh, so, most of the tiles that were made in the mm-hmm. country came from our area. Okay. Yeah. So they were in the textile industry, and uh, had had a great life. How early on were they encouraging you to make those decisions on your own? Um, probably around 10, okay. 12, you know, because you know, I was starting to play sports and, you know, trying to make decisions about what to do, what to play. Yeah. And they let me experiment with just about everything. That's I mean, so smart yeah, though, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, so. I, I think that's such a, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a parent now just for some right. context. I have a three year old and I have a 20 month old. So yeah. anytime I can get parenting advice, I'm asking right. everybody because right. parenting is one of those things that's right. like, you think you know how to parent until you become a parent. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> you become a parent and you're like, I have no idea what I I'm know. doing. Exactly. Um, so I always like to ask because like, that's one thing I think that is a mistake that I see a lot is a lot of parents are trying to teach their kids what to think. Right. And not a lot of parents are trying to teach their kids how okay. to think. Right. And then they get into adult life and then the what part they realize is like a lot of times only a matter of perspective and it's not actually the truth. And so now they have to try to navigate life without ever having worked on the skill of learning how to navigate life and learning how to figure something out or learning how to solve the problem. Yeah. Um, what, 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 what's been your perspective on that from, from the parenting and being a kid? Well, I, like I just that? think you have to, you have to be motivated to do something. You have to love to do it. And the great thing about my mom and dad, they never forced me to do anything athletically. It was all natural. I wanted to do it. Mm. I always said, I want to play baseball. I want to play football. I want to run track. I want to do this. They never said, you have to do this. And which was great because I wanted to do it anyway. As a parent, I think it's, it's up to you to figure out what your kids like, love, and then try to nurse that and then try to give them other options. Mm. Because sometimes, you know, what you love, you may not be great at it, or you may not have an opportunity to do good at it. But if you have choices, then you can make a choice based off your abilities and based off what you're loving to do. Because just because I like vanilla today, I may like chocolate tomorrow. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean I'm going to like it forever. So, but if I have a, a taste of both, then I can make an intelligent decision. Mm-hmm. Making intelligent decisions about having information. Without information, you can't make an intelligent decision. You're just yeah. making, you're either following or you're just part of the crowd. I want to be a leader. And my, my parents always taught me to be a leader. Do something because you want to do it. Don't do it because someone else is doing it. Don't follow the crowd. Yeah. And that was very valuable in my life. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.